Man, we've been on this series for a number of weeks entitled just Disciples, what it looks like to, to be a disciple, what it looks like to be a follower of Christ, right? Because we live in a consumer-driven world where Christianity looks a lot less like Jesus originally intended, and it's so important for us to be able to differentiate as Christians like what Jesus wants for us and from us. What the minimum standard is that Jesus says, I got this for your life. And so we've covered a number of topics over the past couple of weeks. I won't rehash them all. You can check out our, our, our podcast on Apple, Shameless Plug. There you go. You can check out our podcast on our, our, our website, citywidechurch.us, or we have a phenomenal YouTube channel there. Amen. But turn in your Bibles to Matthew 5, verse 13 and 14. And I want to look really quickly at just these two verses or three verses uh, to 15 also. And we're going to look at what it looks like to... To, to live a life for Jesus, and what is the goal of that life as a believer in today's society? Amen? And, and you got to realize, as a Christian, we get all of our teaching from the Bible. If it's not in the Scripture, we ain't going to talk about it. And so all of our, we submit as disciples all of our lives to the authority of the Scripture. Amen? Thank you, Jesus. Matthew 5.13 from the Anointed English Standard Version Bible. You, talking to me now, this is Jesus talking, are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Somebody say, oh my. You are the light of the world. You don't say. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Come on, let's take a moment to bow our heads and pray. Father, we are so grateful Uh, just for the opportunity to be in your house this morning, to open up your word, to just read a portion of this scripture. And we ask you, would you illuminate it it to us today? Would you just make it come alive to be applicable to our lives right here, right now? In Jesus' name we pray. Come on. And the church says, hey, Eric, could you give me a little bit less? Thank you so much. Fun fact about Lewis, if you don't know, I'm Lewis. Fun fact about Lewis and Pastor Lenny is finding this out, is that Lewis is a foodie. I love food. I don't eat food to fuel my body. I eat food for fun, which is why we have to do stuff like dieting here and there and lose weight all the time, because as Americans, we eat food for fun. I think God originally intended food to be just to fuel the body, but we made it into some other stuff. And by the grace of God, we have great recipes, right? But as I grow up in life, I have been trying to refine my palate. I've been trying to expand my food horizons. It's a big world out there, y'all. And rice and beans won't always do it forever. I can't just have pork chops and mashed potatoes every day. I can't have egg sandwiches every morning. There's got to be some differences in my food. Somebody say food. Joining me on this amazing journey has been my lovely wife, Jasenia, married nearly 10 years now. And... We have been on this food journey. I have to admit, most of this is fueled by Chef Gordon Ramsay. Watching his show, MasterChef, if you don't watch that, I I highly recommend it. It's a simple show where home cooks compete to become America's number one cook. 
And they do all types of crazy stuff that they, they cook stuff that I have never even like seen. Like my wife the other day sends me a, a text message. Is this okay for dinner? She was going to make some baked potatoes and she was going to make some, some, what was it, babe? Some chicken and some other stuff. And I was like, that's not how you say it. That's not, that's not how you say it. I said, you're supposed to say, I'm going to make you lightly, you know, lightly breaded chicken sitting on a bed of pureed mashed potato. And I try to, you know, just, she's like, Louis, do you want it or not? I'm like, oh, I want it. 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 But I've been trying to like expand my food horizons because, right, because I want to just eat better food. And so better food doesn't always mean cheaper food. Sometimes that can be expensive, right? Why is it that bad food is so cheap? It's, and then organic food is so expensive, but they put less stuff in it. I just don't know about that. It don't seem right. Just whatever. Okay, back to my, my sermon. My favorite part is watching Gordon critique the food. Like, he, he'll just like, he'll just like look at your food. <sighs> what a shame. And then walks away, and it's just like, oh, man, you can see these people cringe. Because, like, Gordon is, like, one of the top chefs, uh, chefs on the planet. He's just up there. And so I remember this one time, though, he said something that blew my mind. And I can't stop saying what he said. This home cook had gone up, and, and he looked at them, and he, 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 one of the ingredients that this chef had missed was the simple ingredient of salt. And um, anybody ever had bland food with no salt? And, and Chef just looking at them, he's just like, you know, he's like, what a shame. But he said something to them that blew my mind. And I was just like, oh, my goodness. And I was like, honey, did you hear what Gordon said? And she's over there cooking. And I'm like, he said this about salt. And she comes over. She was doing some crafts, matter of fact. And we're, we're watching it. Now, every time I eat, I say this. I went to Tasty Oak and got a spinach and cauliflower with egg wrap. And, and I ate it. And I was like, oh. No wonder why it tasted the way that it sounds like, like amazing, because they put salt on it. And salt does this. And she's like, okay, Lewis, are you going to say every single time? And I was like, yes. Every time I eat a spoon of food now, any, any food now, just like a fork, a spoon, whatever, it can be cereal. You know what salt does? Maybe you might want to know what Ramsey said too. He looks at this chef and tells him, you forgot to put salt. He says, don't ever forget this. Salt is a magnifier of every other flavor on the plate. And I was like, and so now I realize that why chefs will take a little bit of salt after they're done and just toss it on top because the salt magnifies every other flavor on the dish. Salt magnifies. Jesus said, you are the salt. I can stop preaching right now. You are the salt. We always think of that as salt being the, um, you know, in, in the context of the, old, of the New Testament, back in the olden days, salt would be this thing where they would use it to preserve. Yeah. And that's true. But they also used it for flavoring their food. And it was to magnify other flavors. My head exploded when Gordon said salt was the magnifier. I thought about this Bible verse because I'm churchy. And all I can think about is I'm the salt of the earth. I am magnifying the body of Christ and the flavor of Jesus in the earth. I was just like mind blown. So as Jesus is, is teaching and preaching, this, this verse that we read, right? This, this verse that we read is Jesus teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. 
So number one, it's really important to look at the full context of what he's saying, which I'll do that for you guys. We don't just take a Bible verse and preach on it, right? You got to look at the whole context around it. But as disciples of Jesus, he's calling us to do this, that we would magnify him in some form or fashion in our, in our lives, that our, all of our life would be like a billboard pointing people to Jesus, yeah. right? Like our job is just to be a street sign. We're not the street. We're just the sign that says you're, you're here. This is who God is. Our lives are are to be a billboard of the goodness of God. The immediate context of these verses that we read is, of course, the the famous Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus has just gotten through the Beatitudes. This is kind of like a seminar Jesus gave at once, and nobody knew it was going to be a seminar. And it spans like four chapters of the Bible in Matthew, from Matthew 5 to like Matthew 8. And I believe it stops at 8. And it goes right there, and it's all this teaching that Jesus gives in one, right? But Jesus, right, he's talking about the number of characteristics in 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 the disciples' lives, all the Beatitudes. But he gets to the end of them. And he's talking about something specific when he says, you are the salt of the earth. Now, keep in mind that we often quote these verses and don't really look at the full context of what he's saying because we just know the verse. You're the light of the world. Well, why is he saying that in the first place? We have to read verse 11 to be able to understand that. And here's verse 11. Blessed are you. Look at the person next to you. Say, that's you. If you're online, you've got to put it in the comments. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And then he says, you're the salt of the earth. He's talking about being able to magnify God and preserve your righteousness in the midst of persecution. He's saying that in the midst of tough times, when things are adverse and against you, right, Jesus called suffering blessedness. Jesus calls going through it for his sake a good thing. It's a mark of you being more like him. Somebody say blessedness. He goes on to say that when we endure this, our reward is great in heaven. Notice he doesn't say your reward is great on earth. You might not get a reward here, but your reward is great in heaven. Some people, they got all of the reward here. But Jesus says your reward should be great in heaven. It's on the heels of this that Jesus says you're the salt of the earth. Catch that. He's talking about magnifying, flavoring, preserving things in a time of suffering and persecution. That's the context we're talking about here today. I'm the salt of the earth. That sounds good until you realize you got to go through some things until you have an opportunity to be salty. Now, in the street, when you say somebody's salty, it's a bad thing. It means they're mad. They're feeling kind of slighted. You're salty. Why are you so salty about that? In the Bible, it's a good thing. Tell the person next to you, salty. That's the context, right? It's it's, this idea of whether we're going to magnify God with our lives. Now, here's point number one. If you're new here, we preach you three points, or at least I do. Here's point number one. The life of a disciple will magnify God or minimize God. The life of a disciple will either magnify God or minimize God in their life. You either will be a a shining example of who Jesus is in the world when you're going through stuff, or you will crumble and fall into sin and show that Jesus was plastic, and when the fire comes, it just burns up, and the world's like, why would I want to be a part of that? I wouldn't want to be a part of that. It's when the fire comes, you will either magnify or minimize God. A dish with no salt, minimal flavor. But a dish with salt, maximum flavor. Because the flavor is, somebody say magnifying. 
Jesus says that you are the salt of the earth. We're the ones who magnify and preserve the kingdom of God on the earth, the nature of Jesus, our righteousness. We preserve it through our right living and being uh, the character of all the Beatitudes, having those things in our lives, right? We bring the flavor of the faithful in the midst of the fire. We bring the flavor of the nature of Jesus and the heart of God to say, I will not fall away in this time of trial because God's been too good and the lamb is too worthy for me to walk away because of some fire. I've got to endure. You see, when we're as followers of Jesus, you don't knowingly live in sin. You don't dabble in the world because it doesn't magnify God. It minimizes God. Many of us can't go to work and talk about Jesus because you're living crazy lives and people know it. You got church friends and work friends. Most of the people who have that are living double lives. You can't bring one to the other because they know you or they know different sides of you. How do you react when you're going through some tough stuff? Many Christians lash out in sin rather than leaning in on the sun. I'm either going to lash out in sin or I'm going to lean into the sun and say, Jesus, you're worthy. Just because life gets tough doesn't mean I have to fall away from the faith. Just because I'm on quarantine doesn't mean I have to do it in sin with somebody who ain't my husband or wife. Oh, Jesus. We stepped into it there. Just because my finances are low doesn't mean you got to go to a sugar daddy or a sugar mama. You don't have to go to work and talk bad about others to get promoted. You don't have to minimize other people to maximize yourself. That makes you a hinderous person. You're hindering people. That makes you a backbiter and a gossiper. God don't care what kind of car you drive. He wants to know who you cheated to get it. Or if you kept your integrity and did he give it to you. Does not care how big the car is? How many folks are in it coming to church with you on Sunday? Either we're going to magnify or we're going to minimize. It doesn't matter. When we're going through, right, we have to realize Jesus says, I'm the salt of the earth. Two major functions of salt in those days was to preserve meats and to flavor foods. That's the impact we're supposed to have. If you've ever wondered the impact you're supposed to have in your world, like when you leave, what's the legacy that you're going to leave on the earth? It's got to be one that preserves the kingdom of God and flavor of Jesus is poured out to the lives of others. We have to get to this point in our love and faith, this joyous faith that we have, that joy in following Jesus is central, not circumstantial. That it's the central theme of our lives that I'm a Christ follower. It's not this like, if I'm feeling good today, if it's, you know, I don't feel like sitting today, I will follow Jesus. But that we're going to choose Jesus. In all that I do, I either magnify God will minimize God, how I talk to my children, how I talk to my wife, how I talk to my neighbors or about my neighbors, how I act on my street, how I keep my yard, magnifies or minimizes God, how I run my business. It's so shameful that I won't do business with many Christians because they always expect you to, to be okay with them doing less for more. I've had this experience too many times. The body of Christ needs to shape up. If you're going to call yourself a follower of Jesus, operate your life in excellence. It matters how you carry yourself. Either you're going to magnify God or you're going to minimize God. That also goes with don't go out in public with rollers in your hair and stuff. Praise God. All right. I kid. I'm kidding. That was a shot. Okay. Praise the Lord. Are you bringing God glory or are you not? Are you bringing him glory or are you not? Are you representing the kingdom wherever you go? Are you being an ambassador for Jesus? 
are you being, when you're a brand ambassador, you're not allowed to, to work with other brands. Right? I remember when Chris tells me, oh, I'm going to get, you know, uh, work with heartbeat symbols, but we can't use any other symbols at the church but heartbeat because if they see it, you know, I can lose my discounts. I'm like, all right, bet. We just get all heartbeat symbols because you can't compromise. Are you with me? If you're an ambassador, a brand ambassador for the kingdom, there can't be no compromise in your life. If we could do it for the world, we could do it for God. Some of you won't step a foot in certain stores because you just like, you, you'll pay more just to have good service. You will, you will avoid Walmart and go to Target. You don't care if it's a little bit more. You will do that. You'll avoid Walgreens and go to CVS because it's cleaner. You'll do it. Because we don't mind paying a little bit more. I just have a preference. For the kingdom of God, we have to have a loyalty also. Like there's some things you don't compromise on. You don't compromise on Captain Crunch. You don't, there's just certain brands you don't compromise on. You stick with it because it's the best. And you don't care if it cuts the roof of your mouth. You're going to eat it no matter what. Can I get an amen there? You know what I'm talking about. But you, there's some things you want to compromise your brand liking. If your favorite shoe is this, you won't compromise that brand. Even if you're paying more. We have to have a loyalty to Jesus that exceeds that. How am I impacting my family, my community, with my representation and my witness of Jesus? In the Old Testament, there's a story of this man named Job, who in the most difficult situations of his life that he has ever faced, he refused to blame God, speak negative against God, or look at God in a way that was slighting God in any way, shape, or form. And although his wife says curse God and his friends say, hey, it's your fault, he's like, I haven't done anything, but I'm not going to look bad at God. As you look back at that story of Job thousands of years later, right, that was the first book of the Bible ever written. But as we see that, right, as we see Job's life and Job's story, man, we can see a faithful man in the midst of life storms who never bowed or never, ever gave up on God. How much more can I magnify God rather than minimize God through my witness of how I live my life every single day? I want to leave my mark on the earth, and I want to leave a legacy of one who loved God and loved people, and I never, ever magnified myself or, or what I was doing, but I magnified Jesus and only Jesus. Jesus said this in Matthew 5, 13, that you are the salt of the earth. But if salt lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Now, in preaching, we call this a hard pivot. Because now we were having fun. Salty, raw, good. Yeah, yeah, salty. But now it's like, well, what if you lose that? Jesus says you're, you're good for nothing but to be trampled under people's feet because they would take the salt that was useless and they would just throw it out. Because back then they would use, especially in this area, this, the salt from the Dead Sea, which is like really big salt. It wasn't the little salt we, we think of. It was probably ground down, but it wasn't the fine salt. So if it lost its saltiness, it would just be thrown out. Do you realize that? That God says once you lose that witness, once you lose that ability to magnify, to preserve, he says, what are you good for except to throw out and be trampled under people's feet? What, John 15, my father is the gardener, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Either you bear fruit or I'm going to cut you off. It's all throughout the gospels that Jesus says, hey, you're not going to be able to be a leech in the kingdom all, the, all your life. At some point, this, the nature of this relationship is not symbiotic in that sense where you actually actually produce yourself something now. 
You have to actually do something in the kingdom, in, in the church, right? If the church loses its impact in the earth, what are we good for? How did the world change when all the churches shut down in 2020? It didn't because a lot of us wasn't doing much of anything anyways. Did the church shift the world or did the world shift the church? Have we lost our saltiness? It's big for us, right? Because when we look at society, right, and the way that society looks at the church and clearly thinks that we are inconsequential and non-essential, and so much of that is because we've had a bad witness in the earth. We've had a bad witness. We have compromised a lot of our faith in Jesus. Right? Now, now people don't have a bad view of the church because of the church itself. It's usually bad interactions with individuals in the church who live a life that is lying or stealing or a life that is sinful and full of debauchery and drunkenness and wild things. And we're living this way in, in our homes, but we're acting like we are all put together at church. Right? Here's point number two. Here's point number two, that compromising the gospel will never complement the kingdom. Compromising the gospel will never complement the kingdom. It'll never, ever make the kingdom look good when we choose to not be salty. And I feel like some of us have a salty switch. Some days we're going to be a magnifier, and other days we're like, oh, I'm just going to be a minimizer of God's glory. Have you ever been in church just sitting next to somebody? Don't look at them now. And you were all praising God, and they kind of weren't, and kind of pulled, like just made you feel like you were too much. Maybe it's just me. Like, am I praising too hard? No, I'm not. Like, you know what? They don't know what I've done been through. Some people got a salty switch. Some people, their, their, their Facebook and social media, they got a salty switch. One minute they're saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost. I'm at, like some people, I didn't even want them to, like, to check in at church on Sunday. I didn't want people to know you've been here because you are living in crazy ways and talking reckless. You can never, ever compliment the kingdom, right, by compromising the gospel or lowering the standard. Many of us compromise, whether it's from sin, and you're like, well, I'm not living too much sin, whether it's doubt. Many of us lose our witness because we're just complacent in our pursuit of Jesus, right? If you were ever more on fire for God in your life than you are right now, I'm talking to you there. Simple. If you ever were more of a witness for Jesus than you are right here, right now, in your life, you're a representative better of Jesus at some other stage in your life, then that's you. The key for many of us is to remove the compromise in our lives so we can regain the witness. We have to remove the compromise to regain the witness. Because there has been so much compromise and so much bending of the truth in the church, we've lost the ability to point people to Jesus and magnify him because of the way we're living our own lives. When we're in sin, you can never, ever point a person to Jesus. I remember when I was younger, and I, I was in the backyard of one of my friend's house, and we were getting high, and he was talking about some stuff that he was, like, you know, going through. I'm like, you should come to church with me. <laughs> what a dumb witness that was. He, he never came because the pastor's son was sitting there getting high with him. That's a bad witness. Some of you be like, I was drunk, but God used me because I spoke to these people. That's God. No. No, that's a bad witness. How can you point somebody to Jesus, right, when you're called to be redeemed, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost, and changed if you're living in the same way? And Jesus says, if, a, if salt loses its saltiness, that's like saying if water loses its wetness. H- how do you get that back? 
Jesus is, is exasperating the metaphor, right? To get, going to the extreme to show that, that you have to, as a believer, remain at this place of being salty with God in terms of, of just preserving and magnifying God in your life. If the disciple loses their witness or their ability to, to magnify God or be a preserver of good in the earth, what else are we good for to the kingdom is what Jesus is saying. If you don't bring souls in, if you don't love people right, if you're not reflecting Jesus, then why are you here? And that's a, that's a valid question. Seriously, that's a valid question to ask ourselves now. Am I magnifying God? Am I living right? Am I walking with God? Because if not, I'm here for the benefits. Jesus is looking to get married. He don't want friends with benefits. Jesus wants to actually marry us. He wants to actually be in relationship, a committed monogamous relationship with us. Right? I remember when I was younger, I think it was my dad. I'm pretty sure it's my dad. He said, most people don't love Jesus. They're just afraid of the thought of going to hell. The thought of going to hell keeps us in church, but it's not a love for Jesus. But it's his goodness and his kindness that led me to repentance. It was his love, right? And so maybe your prayer has to be over these next few weeks. If you're realizing, hey, I have some of those issues that pastor's talking about, don't fear. There's an answer, right? It's to ask the Lord to give you the grace to love him more. That's a simple prayer that I've prayed for the last four or five years. In, in tough times, God, give me the grace, the strength, right, to love you more because life is really tough right now. Anybody been there before? Have you ever wanted to speak to somebody about a certain thing in, your, in their lives but based on how you were living your life you weren't able to? You lost your witness there. Have you ever said to yourself, I want to talk to you but because the way I've got my mess going on, who am I to talk to them? Or you knew somebody else was neck deep in sin and so were you, so you didn't tell the pastor to help them out because you were there too? And no, no talk about that one? Oh, praise the Lord. They got real quiet online. They got quiet on that one. I'm stitching all y'all out. They got real quiet on that one. Because when we lose our witness, we lose the ability, right? We lose the ability to go tell somebody what happened in our lives through Jesus. Because we end up feeling like a hypocrite about our own lives. And, and who am I to talk to you right now? I have to get it together and then I'll go. But Jesus never got it together for me. He didn't wait rather for me to get it together. He just came to me. But when we lose our witness, we lose that boldness. When we start drinking a little bit too, too much, we start doing a little bit too, too much, you start going out a little bit too, too much, and God's like, yeah, you know, you shouldn't be doing that. You're like, yeah, but you know, I'm going with my spouse. Doesn't make it any better. Because <laughs> there's some places that Christians shouldn't want to be at. Have you lost your witness? In this season, I challenge you to search out the compromise of your life so that in 2021, you can remove the compromise and begin to do stuff that complements the kingdom. That's good for the kingdom, right? You, we, we need to have more good happening at the hands of the, of, the, of the sons and daughters of God in the kingdom so that the world can see the goodness of the church. You with me? When we can endure in hard times and still be a representation of Jesus, we're being salty. When we fall apart in hard times, we have lost our saltiness. You are the light of the world. The city on the hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it, beco- and it gives light to all in the house. 
In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I like this. Jesus takes the idea of magnifying him and he begins to exemplify it through a second metaphor in this context, in this scripture. And he says, and astounding that you are the light of the world. That to me is astounding. I love this because Jesus, right, in John chapter 8, he shouts out, Ayo, I'm the light of the world. I'm just like, Matthew 5, he's like, you're the light of the world. I'm like, well, who's the light, Jesus? Is it you? Is it me? What's going on here? But Jesus, right, in, in the gospel of John chapter 8, he says, I am the light of the world. But then here again, he says, you are the light. When we live as true image bearers of Jesus, when our life is, dis, is, is like as disciples is magnifying God, you are the light of the world. Like Jesus, he's called us, we're, God, God made us in his image. We're the image bearers of God. Do you ever wonder why in the Old Testament God was so upset when somebody would make an idol? An idol was a God, a graven image. And it was supposed to be an image, right, of God. And God's like, you should have no other idols before me. He's not just talking about number one, right? He's not just talking about that you shouldn't serve other gods. He's basically saying, you shouldn't try to make something that looks like me. And here's why God got so upset about that. Because we were trying to create something that he made us to be. We're the image bearers of God. For lack of a better term, we're God's idols. He made us in his image. So he says, now you don't do the same thing. I've already done it. I put my image in you. And Jesus now says, now I'm the light, tag, you're it, you're in my image, you're the light. Here's point number three, and I wrap up with this, right? I become a light when I live in the light. That when I live in the light of Jesus, I become a light for the kingdom of God. I am an image bearer of the nature of Jesus. I can shine towards others in the midst of tough stuff in the midst of all the worst things that life can throw at me. Now, remember, Jesus is talking about the Beatitudes, the character of Jesus. Now, all of those things that Jesus says in the Beatitudes, Jesus is that very thing. Yeah. And blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. He was meek, and he inherited the earth. Yeah. The Father gave him all things. Jesus is the very Beatitudes. And then he says, in the midst of all this, in persecution, you still got to be salty and you still got to be a light because that's what I'm going to do. And when he goes to the cross and he's suffering, he doesn't say anything. The Bible calls him in the book of Isaiah like a lamb to the slaughter. He's a lamb going to his death, but knowing that he has to remain quiet for you and for me. I become a light when I live in the light. People should be able to see my life miles away and say, that's a son and daughter of Jesus. People should be able to see you a mile away and say, whoa, in the midst of a dark world, that is light. Does your life offer light to your neighbors? Does your life offer light to your family? Are you the light in your household? Are you the light in your community? Jesus calls us to be the light. Church, disciples should be different and be seen different. We should be different and be seen different by the world. You cannot hide a true disciple because they ooze Jesus. They don't have to fake it. They don't have to sit there and act like it because they are that very thing. People come from far and wide to see Jesus. Did they come far and wide to see you, to see the Jesus on your life? Is there oil in your life? Is there an obvious connection between you and Jesus? Is there?
Jesus says, you follow me, you become a light. It's just nobody, nobody lights a light so that you can just like hide it. But you make a light, right, so that all can see it. And the question becomes, well, what are they going to see? The reason why many of us see, you ever wake up in the middle of the night and your room is pitch dark, but because your eyes have adjusted, you can see and get around? That's how many of us live our lives. Adjusted to the darkness in our lives. Thinking we can see. And then somebody shines a light while you're sleeping. It's like, yeah, yeah, hey, hey. What did you turn that on for? Because it's offensive. Some of the stuff I preach over the course of this next year might be offensive. Don't make it wrong. It's just offensive. The light offends. When it shines bright, it offends. If I look directly at the lights that are beaming down right now on me, which I won't, because they're really bright. Like, I can't see past four rows. I can't see anybody in back. Praise God. If you've been on your phone the whole time, can't see. Is that conviction back there somewhere? Is that... <laughs> but when you're in the light, right, it's offensive. Let me wrap up with this. Why should I do this, right? Why should I do this? Pastor, why should I, as a disciple, shine even if I'm enduring a tough season? Why should I? Have you ever wondered why God wants me to be so great in the midst of a messy season? Why does God call for me to be like extra, extra deep and spiritual? God, I'm going through it. I just want to sit home and eat ice cream. Just me? Okay. Just want to sit home and eat salty potato chips and just wonder when you're going to come rescue me, God. And God's like, I don't, I don't get you out of stuff. I get you through stuff. That sounds 18, 19. Go read your Bible. Praise God. But he says this. Here's why you should do it. Listen to me, church. If you missed everything, here's why you should do this. As a follower of Jesus, here's why. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. That in the midst of trials, if I'm maintaining my faith, my walk with God, if I'm being strong when I'm being persecuted, if I'm not willing to lay down the gospel because things got rough, if I'm not willing to say, you know, I don't love God no more, I'm going to walk in sin because I feel tempted, if I'm going to stay strong in the midst of it all, others will see that good work and it will give glory not to me, but then they, they will glorify my Father who is in heaven. They will see it. But like, what is it that you got going on that I can get in my life because I want that. If people ask you what you do before who you serve, you might be doing it wrong. Because there's something about people who are oozing Jesus that you don't care what they do for a living. You just want to know, how do I get that? And those are the things that, right, that it only comes to that special time with the Lord where God has to really work in your life. When the world sees that even persecution, trial, and trouble that we as disciples don't bend, fold, or break, that we stand strong for Jesus, many will see our good works and many will come to the kingdom, which is why in Acts, the book of Acts, every time persecution broke out, the church exploded in growth. In China, when persecution breaks out, the church explodes. In Pakistan and Sudan, all across North Africa, where there's all types of persecution. The church is exploding at the seams. But in America, where we have so much freedom, the church is dying and we're losing a generation. 
Well, maybe, maybe just maybe we need to go through some stuff. Let me tell you something. I'm not a doomsday person at all, any way, shape, or form. Grew up like that. I'm not going to do it again. Tried that in my life. Didn't work out great. Every time a bad trial comes, Jesus is coming. People are so excited for him to come, you don't reach nobody. They start preparing, buying food, buying. I thought he was coming. Why are you buying all that for? Things are about to get bad. I, okay. If he gave Elijah food by a raven and water at the brook, he got Lewis Burgos covered. If I have a stockpile, it ain't going to work out great for me. Because I'm leaning on that. I'd rather trust Jesus. We got to use wisdom. Yeah, but we got the biblical wisdom. Like church, church, maybe we need to go through some stuff to be able to have a real testing of our faith. I'm not talking about a first world testing. I'm not talking about you dropped your phone and it cracked and you didn't cuss. And you're like, oh my God, I made it. God's like, is that what you're going to tell David when you go to heaven? He's like telling you his story, lions, tigers, and Goliath, and bears. And you're like, iPhone 11 Pro, dropped it, it broke, and I didn't lose my, my mind. What are we going to tell Paul? Like, what, what are we going to share with the kingdom of heaven that we've done? Like, what am I going to tell Peter, who died upside down on a cross, according to church legend, because he didn't feel worthy enough to die for Jesus the way he died? So he says, crucify me upside down. Like, what's my testimony going to be? What's my witness? Am I the light? Am I the salt of the earth? Willing to stand no matter what and, and say, God? Now, number one, we can't be mad because, or judge ourselves because we were born here. But while we're here and we have it better, we should be better. And take a time in your life to say, you know what? How can I turn it up for God? Not by doing more for God, but by being more like God. Come on, stand with me. God is looking to be glorified in the life of a disciple, that we would be magnifying Jesus. He says, you are the salt of the earth. Man, God is so good. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, I want to challenge you to know Jesus. It's not just about a sinner's prayer. It's about actually changing your whole life and walking with him. If you're online, we have prayer moderators available there to talk with you, to pray with you. But I encourage you that you need to make a decision for Jesus in your life. A clear choice to follow him, to honor him, to love him all the days of your life. And through that, to be able to change not just your life, but those around you. Because as a disciple, we need to leave an impact on the earth. Come on, if somebody says amen. amen. Let's take a moment and pray today. Bow your heads with me. Father, we love you. Maybe through the course of this teaching, God, some of us have become aware of the areas of our lives where we have fallen short and lost our part of our witness. And, and Lord, I just encourage every person here, I ask you to encourage them by your spirit, Jesus. Encourage them to just have a faith, a trust, a joy in knowing you. Strengthen us to be able to endure, God. But Lord, if you're strengthening us to endure, that probably means you're going to allow us to endure. And so when we go through something, God, would you give us a deeper faith? Would you help us to have a healthier prayer life, a stronger commitment to your word, so that when the storm comes, we're rooted and grounded in you, Lord Jesus, that you be lifted up and magnified, glorified in our lives. Jesus, we love you. We honor you. Strengthen us even as we leave this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Come on, the church says amen.